Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to the Gospel Attic Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Greg Bryan. I'm joined with my co-host, Jim Rusky. And tonight we have a special guest, Pat Keating, with us. And the three of us are going to be talking about the life of Jacob from the book of Genesis, chapters 25 to 32. There's a lot to learn from his life. But um, Pat, since this is your first time on the podcast, would you take a few moments and introduce yourself? Tell us Tell us how you came to faith in Christ. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. <laughs> that? Um, well, I was uh, born in Warren, Ohio, and raised in a rather um, loud, somewhat obnoxious Catholic family, kind of Irish, German, French. I mean, my theory is we're all mutts anyway, so... I don't get too caught up with that. Um, my mother was very religious. My father was not. Um, and uh, by the time, so I was raised, well, I was born in 1954, to put it within a historical context. At that time, starting out as a young altar boy, we the mass was still said in Latin. Then they went through Vatican II, and they changed everything. And in retrospect, I realized that it, I didn't think it through that thematically at the time, but in retrospect, I realized that it really caused me to question the faith. I mean, why should I believe this if you're changing everything? You know, now the priest faces us before he turned the back. Everything was very mysterious, liturgical, Latin, it, it, you know, it was a reenactment of the cross. And now it's like, you know, Father Steve singing, you know, lousy 70s folk music. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, 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 I, it was fairly easy for me to just drift away. I uh, eventually ended up at Kent State University where I got a an undergraduate major in philosophy. A little bit of philosophy will cause you to question everything, doubt everything, and it easily leads to atheism. And before I got out of Kent State, I identified, if I can use a modern term, as an atheist. Um, my mother still prayed for me. I would go home and, you know, try to engage her in intellectual discussions and debates, but she wasn't buying it. She would just say... Oh, it's good that you question your faith, Patrick. I'm praying for you. Your faith will be stronger when you come back. <laughs> um, and my father, he just, he didn't care so much. Um, well, eventually I met the beautiful and intelligent Mrs. Keating. We got married. Uh, I eventually didn't get into law school. And I, you know, you know how you plan out your life. And I figured, well, we'll have our 2.3 kids live in the suburbs, white picket fence, you know, that's the way it'll be. Um, but that's not the way it turned out because Diana had endometriosis. So we were an infertile couple. 
And we then had to adopt, well, we didn't have to, but we decided to. And at that time, there were very few children domestically for adoption. But in Akron at the time, there was Bethany Christian Services, which had an adoption program through Korea. As its name implies, they were a Christian adoption agency, and you had to get a statement from your pastor. (laughs) 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 For purely mercenary reasons, we joined a church, and I went through all the motions. I mean, I could could talk the talk, and we eventually then did adopt Ben. But throughout that proceeding, I slowly was starting to question my own skepticism and doubts. And then we had a rather tragic experience where we tried to adopt twin girls from Peru. This is in 1992. Alberta Fujimori was the president of Peru. The Shining Path guerrillas were engaged in a civil war. I don't know what we were thinking going down there. And it ended up in tragedy. The girl, we still don't know what happened to them. We got conflicting reports that they died of cholera, that that they, but there was a baby selling scandal. So who knows? So it was, it was one of those things that was very, um, very tough. And if you're not a believer, it's very tough. And so the, the day I told this to Diana, that because I had contacted the agency and learned this, Um, I finished off the better part of a bottle of Irish whiskey. And then I, this is purely God ordained. I drove to a Christian bookstore and purchased a Bible and decided, well, maybe this is, I can make sense. It didn't, you know, you have to be a spiritual man to make sense of scripture. Um, You know, I got bogged down. I got through Leviticus, but, you know, by the time I got to Chronicles, it was like, forget it. This is gibberish. (laughs) Um, But trying to work through that process and getting some counseling from a good Lutheran minister, we lived down in Suffield, uh, slowly started coming around. And I, I, I realized that there had to be a God. I couldn't identify as an atheist. That didn't mean I was a Christian. But I, there had to be a God. And this is a long process. I'm giving you a very truncated version of what I was living through for years. Um, and then we moved to Hudson, went to another, went to a Lutheran church in Hudson. And at that time, this is in the mid-90s now, Promise Keepers was big. And there was a group of men that went to Promise Keepers and they came back and their faces were radiant. And I was jealous. And I said, I want what they got. So uh, I was in a Bible course, kind of a, you know, Bible 101 for dummies, first time going through in a, in a, a rather um, disciplined manner. And so we went to Promise Keepers in Pittsburgh at Three Rivers Stadium, which no longer exists. And they had the altar call and... One of the guys just basically dragged me up and said, Keating, you know, you're on the fence so long. It's time to make a commitment. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is how I became a Christian. I I went to the, you know, answered an altar call. I didn't, I will say this. 
I did not feel like this was a Paul on the road to Damascus experience. I didn't feel any different. Two things did change fairly quickly. One, I cleaned up my language. There's something about lawyers. They feel if you use profanity, that makes you sound macho. Um, and and uh, that that fell away. And suddenly scripture made sense. And so now I've now I figure I'm still trying to catch up for all that lost time. <laughs> hey, Pat, just I'm thinking about the altar call that you talked about with the promise keepers. I'm thinking of some of our listeners might not know what an altar call is or what that sound, what that what that looks like. I mean, what was that? Was someone from the podium saying, come forward and it was Franklin Graham, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. And it was the opening night. Promise Keepers was like a Friday night, Saturday, and then Sunday afternoon they were done. And so this was the Friday night, kind of the opening. And they had a worship band and all of that. And, and you know, he kind of gave his testimony. And if you know anything about Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham. He was a prodigal. He, yes, the the apple may not fall far from the tree, but if the tree's on a slope, it can roll far away. <laughs> he, you know, maybe God shifted the ground and it rolled back. So, you know, it was easy to identify with him, but he just said, now's the time. You know, he says it, of course, in his more um, elegant Southern accent. Uh, but, you know, the idea of the altar call is, you got to come up. You got to get right with your life and give it to God. And you say what we call the sinner's prayer, which I'm not a fan of that, you know, the idea that you can say magic words and that's it. But I think the best sinner's prayer is probably Mark's gospel, you know, where the publican says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that smelly tax collector over there. And the tax collector just says, have mercy on me, O oh Lord. I'm a sinner. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that's it. It's like, I can't do it anymore. Now, you were just teaching on the book of Revelation not too long ago. And I'm wondering if Revelation 3.20 was part of that. Um, I can't remember, Pat, if you were talking about there's somebody else, that verse that says... I did not have that one. Uh, 3.20, is that the, the one the door is open? I stand at the and... door and knock. Yeah. Yeah. If, if anyone, anyone hears my voice... Right, right. And opens the door, I will come in and and be with them, and he with me. Or Yeah, that, that I think was Mosteller. But I did talk about in when I had the lead in chapter four, that when John has his second vision, he's caught in the spirit and transported to heaven, the door of heaven is already open, mm, mm, mm. which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and you one of I forget again. One of the letters to the seven churches is, "What I open stays open; what I close stays closed." And the door to heaven is open. So it's just amazing pretty... how it's amazing how the Lord works, and you're there at that stadium, and oh, yeah. the Lord's already been working on your heart. You've gone through some trials and tough times, and you're reaching out for some something spiritual, realizing there's got to be more than this. Mm -hmm. Just the right moment, a friend says, he's talking to you, Pat, and you yeah. feel, you feel the hand of God and you respond. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's yes, you you put it succinctly. That's, and we all have different ways that the Lord does that. He, but, you know. So for our listeners. We need much better than we know what we need. 
So for our listeners, give us a little bit of perspective. So basically, when you were like 18 or 19 years old, you said you identified as an atheist. Is this like in your are you in your 30s at this point or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I was. Uh, I think I was 40. I've, you know, COVID has really screwed up my, my memory. Yeah. So were you, were you ever like a hardcore atheist? Like, did you ever like want to debate? Uh, debate oh yeah, I was Christians? an obnoxious atheist. I was an obnoxious atheist. I try not to be an obnoxious Christian now. <laughs> Hopefully it's not part of my personality. It's just that it was the atheism <laughs> drew it out. Right. And, and I was. The other miracle of this is like you said that your friend kind of dragged you down there and usually those don't stick. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. obviously the Holy Spirit was working in your life uh, right. before this point, um, which is kind of interesting to think about. Like, and you mentioned like one time you read the Bible and you couldn't understand it because you weren't a spiritual man, but something happened during that weekend that made you a spiritual man, which is more than just, um, and that's kind of the way salvation works, right? It's like even somebody could mess up the gospel completely mm -hmm. but if a person is prepared and like we would say ripe fruit ready to right you know ready for the harvest yeah i mean like god can god can use anybody anywhere um you know so that's kind of a cool a cool thing so that was the beginning of your spiritual journey and then did you just take off from there and then did your wife just jump on board oh she got she 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 Beat me to the finish line uh, by several years. <laughs> I mean, so uh, she was probably praying for you. She, uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. <laughs> but you know, I was like on the fence for a while, so I was I was Christian adjacent. Got you. So one of the things we talk about on this podcast sometimes is the difference between outside in Christian growth and inside out Christian growth and how like on the outside, you can try to clean up your act and start going to church, stop swearing. You know, that a lot of times we think that's how we change and that's how the Christian life works, but the real Christian life and why we call this the gospel attic is it's really inside out. No, I absolutely. I, I, one of the things that Diana and I have done over the years after I became a Christian was that we worked in um, the juvenile, um, uh, I want to say prison, but it's juvenile detention facility. And it's easy to tell those kids that they're sinners and they need a savior. I mean, they've made a shipwreck of their life. They know that. But it, what's hard is to, you know, you can't work your way to salvation and the outside in, if I can just clean up my act, if I just can, you know, give me the willpower not to take that next drink or do the drug or do that. And I think that, well, yeah, the, what, what's gospel addicts? That's, and I think we're all addicts to a certain extent. And so we need to replace the, um, degenerative addiction with something more life-giving so i remember talking to some guy and he said i used to be an alcoholic that's why you always see me holding holding a water bottle i i used to hold a glass of booze now it's it, it's like i have to train my hand my body to do it you know um 
how do you how do you stop reading porn or other things you shouldn't read? You read the Bible. You fill your time with other things. You become addicted to to the good things, and you don't have enough time for the bad things. I, that's kind of the way I've approached it. Have you ever heard of Tom Thomas Chalmers? Thomas Chalmers was like I think a 17th century Christian, and he a preacher, and he was like a preacher at a really young age. Hmm. And made a profound impact. But he has a sermon that you can actually find online. And the title of the sermon is All You Need. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I, yes, I have. I have. I'm familiar with that. I they didn't recognize the name. Chalmers. And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Is yeah. the way the way to get rid of a bad um, addiction is replace it. Right. With a better addiction, which, again, people can do that. They, they may go from drugs to um you know to alcohol or then alcohol to their family but ultimately we think you know the best addiction is to be addicted to to Jesus you know right. in the in the gospel and that's where real life change happens um Jim is there anything else you want to ask Pat before we dive into today's uh study no I'm trying to think about that uh, might relate to the whole life of Jacob who starts by trying to get a blessing for himself and at the end is blessed by god when he wrestles with him so but maybe <laughs> he was fighting with his brother in the womb yeah, yes yeah. yeah right yeah so let's 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 talk about the life of, da of jacob and let's th start at the beginning because it's really kind of interesting in genesis 25 even before he's born um he's wrestling with his brother in the <laughs> womb and um you know, it, it says um, in chapter 25, verses 22, I'm just going to read a, a couple of these verses and then we'll talk about it. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, which is kind of cool. She went to she, mm -hmm. she she took the question to the Lord and then the Lord said to her, verse 23, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And then it says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Boy, that would be interesting to see. So they named him Jacob, which means like heel grasper, I guess. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. So um, anything stand out to you there? Isn't that kind of interesting that even before he was born, we get to know a little bit about his personality? Uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the, the, it, it, the Bible, of course, when these early chapters are, we meet these characters, the names always indicate something. There's a meaning to it. And Jacob, the, the heel grabber or usurper, he wa wants to grab you and pull you down so he can get ahead. I've heard other people say it, it, it's synonymous with being a deceiver. And deception plays a big part throughout his life, at least what is recorded in the Bible. So it's it is very interesting just that you have this battle right from the beginning and uh and you know we learn of something about it from that as well as as well as uh, the name and but the two nations it's 
It's not just Jacob and Esau. It is their many, many descendants are wrestling in her womb. That's a, almost a poetic description. Hmm. And then I, I think the, uh, the last part of that is so important, too, to the whole story, because God tells her flat out, the older will serve the younger. Yeah. And she obviously remembered that. And clearly, at some point, passed that on to her husband, because that that whole that plays such a big part of the story. It does. So let me let me just continue on, just keep us moving forward. And then we'll, we'll pause it at different mm -hmm. crucial points. So then verse 27 says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man in the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, right there, isn't that interesting? So basically, Jacob was indoorsy, but Esau was an outdoor guy. And Esau was a man's man. He was a man's man. And, and Jacob was a, a, a mama's boy. Yep. And um, and then you see how this plays into the whole narrative. It says once uh, in verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And then Jacob says, well, first, sell me your birthright. And this is where we start seeing Jacob living up to his name at this point. Yeah. And, and he says, look, I'm about to die. He's like, what good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob and Esau uh, gave Esau some bread and some lentil stool. He stew, he ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Wow. What are you guys think so, thoughts on this? Well, I, I just wonder about this story. Do you think that at this point, um jacob would have known the oracle that his mother was told like do you think maybe his mother had said to him look i know you're the younger one but you're the one who's supposed to get everything and this is primogeniture right? this is this is a yeah. culture which the firstborn gets everything and so the birth of, and i and i i think there you could argue there may be a distinction between the birthright and the blessing but later right. on, there's an idea that maybe they are the same thing because it, the reference in hebrews kind of puts them together uh, where it talks although about here they're separate you know that esau at the end says you took my birthright now my blessing right um uh yes and then but i'm thinking of hebrews 12 it says uh that there be no immoral or godless person like esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal for you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing mm -hmm. to your point pat like two different things but maybe this was his uh i, I always wonder if jacob said I know a mom told me I'm the one who's supposed to get everything. I'm the one who's supposed to. Maybe this is just a way for me to kind of move things along a little bit. Well, bring it about. Now, I, I think I think your your supposition has a lot of merit, Jim, because one, we've already learned in the passages Greg has read that Jacob was the mama's boy. He was in the tents with the women, sticking yeah. around there while Esau's out there with his old man hunting wild game. Um, but then she also helps him, Jacob, deceive her own husband. Right, right. So that that strongly suggests to me, although the Bible doesn't say that Jacob was privy to the prophecy, it suggests to me that 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 she told him. 
So don't we see don't we see this a lot in the especially in the book of Genesis where um like God makes these promises, but then it's like the guys try to force it. They they right. they they try to they basically say, you know what, I'm taking this into my own hands. Right. Let me help you, trusting, God. <laughs> instead of trusting in the Lord, like they try to say, Okay, God told me this, so I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna force it. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, we just saw that uh, previously with uh, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, and the servant. Mm. She says, well, you know, God's promised us to have an heir. We don't have one yet. Obviously, I'm too old to have kids. Here, sleep with my servant. Yeah. Taking matters in our own hands, trying to find an earthly way to bring about what God's promised, because maybe they're just tired of waiting on God, and God's taking too long. So I don't know if it's that, or maybe Jacob's just a deceiver saying, hoo-ha-ha, this is my chance, and now it's mine, all mine, <laughs> uh, true to his name. Uh, who knows? But it, it but um, nevertheless, when you do get to the next chapter, the next part of the story, uh, Jacob could, and, and Esau wants the blessing. If to the extent the blessing and the birthright are conflated with each other, part and parcel of the same thing, it almost gives Jacob a right to say, hey, what I'm getting later when I see my dad is just what you gave to me. I, I bought this from you with this lentil stew. Um, I have I have a stake in it. I have a claim to it somehow. Um, otherwise, the story, I mean, I think that's part, I think that's part of the weight of the story why it's here before the later deception that comes in the next chapter. Yeah, and let's let's move on to that. But um, in chapter 26, some interesting verses, verses 34 and 35. Let's take a look at those for a second. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Barry the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. It's kind of interesting. It says, and... Does this have something to do with like Esau because of what happened? Uh, Esau's starting to go off the rails a little bit. Um, is he intentionally trying to grieve his parents, or do you, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, why, why were they? Why were they? Why was it a Why did this grieve his parents? Because they weren't. Well, they were Canaanites. They were. They were. Uh, Hittites, and the, uh, which I uh, think I think was a type of Canaanite. Uh, uh, so they were. Um, so he wasn't supposed to be doing that, and they didn't. I think they didn't want that because later they have very strong idea ideas to say we want we don't want you Jacob to take a wife from one of the Canaanites. And then this little phrase is in here as a placeholder later because Rebecca uses that later to further deceive Jacob um, into sending off uh, further deceive her husband. Isaac into um, sending off Jacob. So this is like a little, maybe a little placeholder for part of the story that comes later because Rebecca is going to use that. And so we can fast, we'll get there in a minute, I guess we need to fast forward there now, but she'll basically use this idea of the, the daughter-in-laws, how painful they are to put a seed into Isaac's head that uh, to get to the, to make Isaac think it was his idea to send Jacob away, even though it's later, it's going to be Rebecca's idea to send Jacob away. And, um, she uh, uses this kind of these circumstances in her favor to, to, to make that happen. Yeah. And to, to follow up on your comment, Greg, when we do get to that point that uh, Jacob heads off to, to uh, Rebecca's brother in chapter 28, um, Esau goes and marries a, a, a Ishmaelite. He marries a third woman. And, it, and the way the Bible presents it, it's like he wants to really spite his parents. Mm. You know, I lost my blessing. That's going to be it. 
I'm going to marry another one of these pagan women you don't like. Pat, do you think that's the case? Because I, I saw, I thought exactly the same thing you did, exactly the same thing when I read that passage later. Uh, like now, I'm really sticking it to you. You didn't yeah. like the first two. No, you're not going to hate these, right? Yeah. But, but then I, I read some commentaries that said Ishmaelites was kind of like that was Abraham's other son, and so that was maybe more within the clan than the Canaanites were. So maybe it was an appeasement. Oh, I'm really sorry. Let me get back in your good graces by marrying. Uh, someone within the family of Abraham, you know, a descendant of Ishmael, uh, as opposed to a Canaanite. I get, I mean, it's, it's two different, completely different ways of looking at it. The first way is the spite. The second way is, I'm really sorry. I, I, and probably the first way of spite is more in keeping with the character of Esau anyway. Well, at least at this point, and near, near the end, I mean, and that we may not get there, but Esau and Jacob are reunited at the end of the story. and That's true. They hug and everything else. Um, it, it's interesting, though, that you, you know, we talk about Ishmael, Ishmael and Isaac. Um, it, by my counting, Jacob and Esau is now the third pair of brothers we have encountered in these opening chapters of Genesis. The first one, Cain and Abel, that did not go very well. <laughs> and then you have Ishmael, the half-brother of Isaac, and he basically has to be forced out. Right. And the commentators are all over the map as to how he was treating his younger half-brother. And now you have Jacob and Esau, and Esau swears he's going to kill Jacob, almost going back to Cain and Abel. Right. But we have a different outcome at the end. That's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. That's, that's a very, have you ever thought about this? Like, you know, we're so used to saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It, it could have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Like it, it Or like, Abraham, Ishmael. I mean, yeah, the, at each one of those generational uh, 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 points, there's a, there's a varying off. You're either with the promise or not. Right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Attic Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.